hours early. Lloyd is in uh, Poland, and it gets uh, difficult and tiring to uh, be broadcasting at 2 to 4 a.m. from the other side of the planet. So giving Lloyd a uh, break today, and we're going to be talking about uh, Ibn Taib Mia's book uh, on jihad and uh, some pretty interesting stuff. Lloyd, you want to just uh, start right into this so we can get going. We have quite a bit of material to cover here today. Yeah, no, we may not get through it all today, but I think we should be able to give everyone a, a decent introduction to the issue, at least a, and a thorough understanding of. Um, today, I want to discuss a handful of things. Sharia, we need to look at the Sharia. The, the Quran is, uh, as I've stated, and I've made a few videos on this on my channel, you can argue any any subject from, well, from the Quran, you can argue both sides of any argument. You can literally argue both sides, and that's what people do. It gets confusing because the Quran can be argued from both sides because of its dualistic and sophist nature. But the Sharia is definitive. The Sharia is the law, and the Sharia comes down on one side. It says, look, this is the interpretation. So when Muslims say, and everyone says it's how it's interpreted, the Sharia is how it's interpreted. And so we want to discuss the Sharia, and we're going to discuss jihad. We're going to start getting a solid understanding of what jihad is. Um, the short version, the Cliffs Notes, Jihad is offensive warfare by Muslims against non-Muslims to force them to convert to Islam. That is the legal. We'll, we'll get into that. Well, um, why don't we, we before? Why don't we start off by discussing who was uh, Ibn Taymiyyah? Okay, Ibn Taymiyyah. So there were twenty-four. If you look on Wikipedia, there are twenty-four scholars of Islam that were called Sheikh al-Islam. Basically, the major scholars. There's only one guy above them, and that's even uh, that's Ghazali, that's Al Ghazali. But Ibn Tamir is one of 24 scholars that were given the title Sheikh Al Islam, which means that he was incredibly influential. He was a very, very influential scholar, and a lot of their writings, a lot of their findings, their fatwa, their religious decrees, made their way into the Sharia. So these have become religious law, and that religious law is fixed for all time. It is the final exegesis of the Quran and the Sunnah. And that's it. For the rest of eternity, the Sharia is fixed. So he was one of the major scholars. He's written Sharia manuals. And we're going to be looking at a book that he wrote, which is derived from the Sharia. And this is his book that describes how to apply the rules of jihad. And so those who contest his writings would be considered apostates and worthy of death. Is that correct? Well, the apostasy laws, I mean, we've done, we've done, uh, we did a show on that. Yeah. If they, if they contest that, yes, they would be um, apostates because they are meant to accept the rulings of their imams. Got it. All right. I just wanted to cover that before we dive into this. Yeah, we've got an, I've got an entire video on that. Um, we linked it in the last show. I linked to that, especially where I go to that in great detail. Yeah. So, um, yeah, should we, should we just begin and then yeah. we can... Uh, any questions popping up in the... Uh, Not seeing any. And by the way, today we're broadcasting on the primary channel for the first time in three months. We're also broadcasting on the backup channel on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, DLive, etc. So uh, we're... If people are wondering what happened to the uh, primary channel live feed, Steve Outram filed some false copyright claims on it, had it shut down uh, several months ago, but it's been up. It's been uh, turned back on now. So we are 
live again for the first time in three months. So enjoy, folks. And please hit the super chat, support the show. There's also a link to support uh, Lloyd in the in the uh, show notes as well as his uh, Bitcoin donation uh, address. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge amount of research work. I have to read through these notes so that you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, let me let me get started. Uh, I'm going to. Um, yeah, so we're going to discuss Sharia and we're going to discuss Jihad. Uh, these are subjects that cause a huge amount of confusion and we need to start clarifying this. Um, Muslims will lie constantly about everything and anything, right? And I was tired of going in circles around the, <clears throat> the Quran and around the Sunnah, that's the Hadith and the Sirah. And I realized that the best way is to simply go straight to the Sharia, the sacred law, and say, look, this is the ultimate verdict of the scholars. <clears throat> they claim that this is the ultimate expression of the mind and the will of Allah. And it's done. For instance, when you ask a Muslim, where in the Quran are the five daily prayers? They'll say the Quran is complete. The Quran is everything you need. Now, the Quran is smaller than the New Testament. It's 150,000 words. It's not a very big book. Ask them, where in the Quran is the five daily prayers? And they cannot show you because it's not in there. Where's the Shahada? That's the, that's the thing that you say when you become a Muslim. Where is that? It's not in the Quran. Right. And those are critical pillars of Islam. Why? Because they're in the Sharia. They're not to be found anywhere in the Quran. And they will say to you, one of the things that they said that, that annoys me, and also I want to discuss the idea of apologetics or, or polemics, which is actually dealing with these people in the comments and dealing with their lies. They will say, well, man's law is man-made and it's corrupt. We have God's law. Okay, so where in the Quran is the Sharia? Please show me. Because it's not in there either. It's not to be found. The Quran is a tiny little book. It's the size of your hand, right? It's, it's 150,000 words, a really tiny book. The Sharia is dozens of books, dozens and dozens of books written by dozens of scholars. It is tens of thousands of pages. So I don't know, did, it, did Allah write that? If someone can show me, I'd love to see it. Did Muhammad write? No, he didn't, right? So this is man-made law. This is very much man-made law. It's, it's a work of man. So I don't know how they call it Allah's law, but whatever. Uh, moving on. You guys see my screen? Yeah, we can see it. <clears throat> so we'll be discussing this book, The Religious and Moral Doctrine of Jihad by Ibn Taymiyyah. So let's scroll forward. <clears throat> so the book is about the Sharia. And the full title of the book is The Governance According to Allah's Law in reforming the ruler and his flock. Of course, Allah's law is the Sharia, right? So let's have a look at what a Sheikh al-Islam is. Now, according to, I think this is the Webster's Dictionary. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, it says in the Ottoman Empire, it was the chief judge of any of, a, any of various large cities, especially the Grand Muftiat of Constantinople. So this was the capital of the Turkish Empire at the time. So this would be someone extremely senior. He would make policy for the nation, right? Religious law for the nation. If we look at Wikipedia, we've got an outstanding scholar of the Islamic sciences and their fatwa were particularly influential. A fatwa is a religious ruling. 
So their fatwa were particularly influential. And the major fatwa all were absorbed into the Sharia and became binding as Islamic law. So how I got into this discussion, got into this book was Mr. Muhammad Amin, who was kind enough to let me know that Jesus means earthly pig. Uh, this was in a discussion about, of course, Islam. They were trying to claim that Muhammad is in the Bible, Muhammad is mentioned in the Bible, and we just will not admit that Muhammad is mentioned in the Bible. And three hours later, he tells me, um, I can't be a Muslim unless I believe in Jesus as a mighty prophet sent by God. Just prior to that, he was saying Jesus means earthly pig. But then, of course, as a Muslim, he has to, yeah, sure, whatever, buddy. This is extremely common. This, this kind of attitude towards Christians, towards the Bible, towards Jews is very common. It's entirely normal, in fact, if you read through any of the Facebook or YouTube comments. So, Amin means trustworthy, and Muhammad himself was actually called Amin. That's why they call themselves these names, because these are names that were common for the companions of Muhammad or Muhammad himself. So I asked him, please, quote me the Sharia. I want the punishment for apostasy. What happens when you leave Islam? And what is the Sharia definition of jihad? I don't want your personal definition. Give it to me from Islamic sacred law. And something you must notice is that they will never, ever, ever, ever quote the Sharia. I have not once yet seen a Muslim quote the Sharia for me. Not one time. They refused. Now, why would that be, in your opinion? Um, as far as I can tell, there's a prohibition in the Sharia on revealing the secrets of the Muslims. Because if they knew what the Muslims taught about them, they would kill them openly? Oh, that's, the, that's what they claim against the Talmud. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, which is actually which is actually in the uh, in the Islamic text and not in the yeah. Talmud, which we've already revealed. But yeah, I'd love to get back into that, and I, I'm going to start putting out some short videos on each of the Talmud claims and show yeah. the full text of those. So I asked him specifically for Ibn Taymiyyah's Sharia rulings on the punishment for Muslims and non-Muslims who mock or insult Islam. Right, that would be, of course, it's the death penalty. I mean, no surprise. But if a non-Muslim or a Muslim in South Muhammad, the Quran or Allah, or even just Muslims, you are to be punished. And for those three, the category of punishment is the death penalty, right? And I said, what are even, because Ibn Taymiyyah wrote a Sharia manual called the, the unsheathed sword against those who insult the prophet, right? And so that was the Sharia, that's the definitive Sharia manual on that subject. It's the compilation of all the works of all the scholars and he's taken the best of those and he compiled this manual and that's the that's the definitive manual on the subject and i said so what what are the what are the what are the statements by ibn tamir on that subject and um, what he did was he gave me this quote and it comes from a book called the kitab kitab means book on the buwat and it says as for the oppressor who does not fight then there are no texts in which god commands him to be fought Rather, the unbelievers are only fought on the condition that they wage war, as is practiced by the majority of scholars, as is evident in the book and the sunnah. So I went to look for the kitab on the board, and I could not find it. This quote appears on an obscure Reddit post, and it appears on the Yakin Institute site, and I'll get to that in a moment. But this book, can't find it. Is this quote legit? I don't know. I can't find it. If anyone can, you can confirm it if you can find this in English. And also, we also cannot determine this is simply a loose passage taken out of who knows what, if it's even real. 
And you don't know what, what came before it, what came after it. But we do know that Ibn Taymiyyah wrote a complete book on jihad. So, well, I mean, then we can have a look at this book on jihad and see if it agrees with this. Right now, the oppressor who does not fight. Well, the thing is, Muslims are encouraged with jihad to make war. And once they've subjugated their victims, those victims are not to fight back. They're not to retaliate. So if they do not retaliate, then they must allow that to happen as is. And either they then become Muslims or they pay the jizya. But if they do fight, they are to fight them. Except they don't mention here that, yes, the Muslims started the fight. They invaded that land. But we'll get to that. Right, so let's see what we have. So I'll just cancel that. Oh, let's have a quick look at the Akin Institute. Let me just close this. Let's have a look at what the Akin Institute has to say. Right, so they mention, according to classical jurist Ibn Taymiyyah, that's in, who died in 1328, jihad's a response to military aggression and not merely religious difference. Um, the professional scientific term for that statement is bullshit. Excuse my French, should I? So Justin Parrott's a convert, and um, yeah, he should really know better, especially if he's at the imam level. He really should know better. So he quotes that, and they try to they try to make this as if now here's the thing: fatwa, loose fatwa taken out of any book, are simply non-binding. When it, when a jurist makes a ruling, right? When a jurist makes a ruling, and that ruling is not out of the Sharia, it is not a binding fatwa. It's not law what comes out of the Sharia is law. Okay, so let's go to our book. This is the religious and moral doctrine of jihad. Right, and as we can see, it is based on Allah's law, which is the Sharia written by Sheikh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah. Now, Ibn Taymiyyah, he was a little bit of a boy genius, finished his studies when he was a teenager, and he was an expert in all of the Islamic doctrines from Quran, Hadith, law, theology, grammar, and so on. And he even as a teenager started giving fatwa on religious legal matters, right? So he, pardon me, clearly knew what he was about. Now, here's the section you want to talk about. He became famous for his jihad against the Tatars, for his jihad against Tartary, where he essentially subjugated the Tatars. And the Tatars were, they were fought, they were, Islam was imposed upon them and they decided to, uh, to throw off the yoke and that didn't go very well. So, and notice also, okay, well, they mentioned a large Christian evangelical movement. Now the Crusaders, they mentioned that. And yeah, so they've got their own propaganda going there. But you wanted to speak about the, uh, the Tatars, Jan? Yeah, well, you know, we had been looking into the Tartars on the show two, three years ago, and I had been trying to figure out how they were overthrown, and there was some convolution if the Tartars were Christian or Muslim, and the official history is that they were Islamic, and then when we start going through this, this document here by Ibn Tamiyah, it proves uh, from the Muslims' own side that they committed a jihad against the Tartars and wiped them out. And that's why the world's largest uh, Christian empire, Tartary, is no more. And it was just about a global empire. But, yeah, so the, the Islamists committed jihad against this massive Christian empire. And, um, you know, so we had thought at the time that it was— possibly the Jews poisoning the wells, because, you know, at the time I bought into, 
you know, these idiots who constantly promote all the Maju stuff. And uh, so now we actually have primary documents uh, from the Islamists themselves and, for, you know, experts on Sharia that show that it was the Muslims and by no means the Jews whatsoever. So what you're showing on here actually proves this. But, uh, you know, that's... that's yeah, so their question. So one thing that Muslims do is, if you look at ISIS, they destroyed all relics from the past. Right. They were destroying statues, they were destroying churches, they were destroying historical monuments, because those come from a time they called Jahiliya. And the Jahiliya is the time of barbarity before Islam, and all of those things must be destroyed. So Muslims throughout the centuries have destroyed countless, countless historical relics, so that there is no evidence of what there was before, because everything must be replaced by Islam. Now, they mention here the role of Sheikh al-Islam, Ibn Tamiyyah, in jihad against the Tatars. So his most significant achievement was his jihad against the Tatars after he unmasked the corruptions in their beliefs and their deceptive claims of embracing Islam. So clearly they were fought so that they would embrace Islam and they didn't properly do so, right? And he then decided to make sure that they would comply with Islam. So they were the greatest danger facing the Muslim nation. And yeah. So he held that the protection of Islam should be the primary objective of all Muslims and the condition to complete their faith. Now, notice what's not said here, what's implied but not stated. The protection of Islam, right, does not necessarily mean that, well, the primary objective of all Muslims to protect Islam is jihad. Jihad must be used to protect Islam. Protecting Islam does not mean from warfare against Muslims or warfare on Muslim lands. That No, protection of Islam means the correct practice of islam in other words not allowing people to corrupt it by doing it wrong they have to follow the sharia to the letter and if they deviate if they don't comply then muslims to protect islam must fight against those people who are not good muslims who are not practicing islam properly so he makes definitions he makes statements here about there are multiple groups of he divides kufar into a number of categories a kafir is a non-Muslim, basically, it's a derogatory term. The first group of kufar are the original kufars, e.g. the Christians and the Armenians. Now, I saw a guy today that actually, Jan, you mentioned him to me. This person actually claimed that the Armenian genocide was carried out by Jews. The Armenian genocide was carried by Turkish Muslims. Not, not the young Turks who were famous for doing it, but it was somehow, yeah. you know, and, and they magically... Everything that they do is spun against the Jews. You have all of these texts that we've been showing for the last year that they pin on the Jews and the Talmud and all this stuff, where we've shown that all these claims were false and they were found easily in Islamic texts. Uh, the genocides weren't committed by the Islamists. They were magically committed by uh, the Jews. All of this stuff on and on and on. We've seen this constant bait and switch uh, where no matter what Islamic texts say, no matter what they do in their actions, somehow they manage to spin it on the Jews rather than looking at the actual facts of it. So, you yeah. know, it, it's quite the, uh, the scapegoat distraction. You know, we see this going on with this, uh, with this GDL group constantly, too. They constantly bait and switch, and they all use the exact same talking points. Well, now that we have these Sharia manuals, and I've got dozens of them at this point, um, they all cover different topics. So some are about weddings and some are about warfare. So 
Um, you know, you take your pick. Now we can start to unpack them and really see what they say. Notice he says, it is permissible to hold peace agreements with the Kappa, with the Christians. It is permissible. It doesn't say it is compulsory. It says you are allowed to. You may. You can also kill them, but it is permissible to hold peace agreements. Of course, when you look at the Sharia definitions of peace agreements, that's good now. And those are time limited. You can only do that for so long or given certain conditions, and then you must go back to war. So yeah, there's little things that they don't mention here, things that you're assumed to know if you're a jurist and that you absolutely will not if you're not a jurist. So now they're talking about different, I'll read down to the middle of this page and then I will, I will finish this page and then I will go back to the Sharia itself. So they talk about a second group of apostates who return to their infidel ways or leave Islam, right? And these apostates are worse than the originals, worse than the Christians. Therefore, fighting them is obligatory if they do not return to Islam. So if the apostates leave the religion, they must be fought. No peace agreement nor any covenant of security can be given to them. Their prisoners are not to be released. Their food is not to be eaten. Their Muslim man cannot marry their women, and they are all to be fought and killed. Now, he's getting this right out of the Sharia. He speaks of a third group. The third group, under the consensus opinion of Muslims, must be fought. This sounds rather repetitive, right? And now Muslims will say, well, you know, jihad is only if you're fighting people who, like Abu Bakr, didn't, he fought people who didn't pay this. No, he mentions this is in the same way, but there's multiple categories. When people mention this Abu Bakr and the Zakat nonsense, that's just one category, just one instance, right? Now, and it says, none of the companions or the successors, these are the followers of Muhammad, the companions of Muhammad and the people who succeeded them, the first two generations, none of them disagree about the necessity of fighting them. So I thought jihad, isn't jihad about being a better person and, and um, you know, going on diet, going to gym more often, swearing <laughs> Well, you know, isn't that what something like 14% or less of what jihad is actually about is this inner, uh, this 2%. inner 2%, this inner jihad. But of course, the, the, uh, the tiny little bit that, uh, where they claim this is that's promoted to the forefront rather than this yeah. murder yeah. of, uh, everybody that's the real jihad. And this is the reason that Muslims will not show you the Sharia. They will not discuss the official Sharia rulings. Now they talk about a fourth group, the most evil of all groups, right? They are also, they reverted from Islam, right? But they entered Islam without following the Sharia, right? And following the Sharia, if you're a Muslim, is compulsory. Now it is agreed upon that they should be fought totally until they return to practice the fundamentals of Islam and to prevent fitness so that the religion, worship, will all be for Allah alone. Now, so there must be no fitna and that all worship, when they're saying all of Islam, no, all worship, all religion, all religion on the planet will be purely Allah's religion. And Allah's religion is Islam. So they're saying here that fitna, now fitna is often translated as corruption. When you look in the Sharia, fitna is actually translated as temptation. If you look in the Sharia, fitna is found under temptation. And this is the temptation of luring someone away from Islam. That is considered corruption or fitna. So fitna is often, as I said, translated as corruption. And you would think it's some kind of heinous crime, like attacking the Muslims, murdering the Muslims, doing something bad. No, it's temptation. It's 
trying to drive them away from Islam, trying to lure them away from Islam or doing something that might lead them to want to do so. That is considered fitna, that is corruption, and you must be fought and killed for that. So, yeah, let me go to the Sharia then. Let's have a look at an official definition of jihad. I'm going to go through this at some length, and I will go through a second Sharia manual as well, just to clarify the point from the second one. I can go to a third and a fourth and a fifth, but that's not necessary right now. I'll do that separately. But let's look at jihad, which is in the world's most famous, the world's most popular Sharia manual. It's in section 09. It's under the Book of Justice. Jihad means the war against non-Muslims, and it is etymologically derived from the word mujahada, signifying warfare to establish Islam. So now I will make a note, and I'm not skipping over this deliberately because they say it is the lesser jihad, right? The lesser jihad has a couple of components. First of all, it is the inner jihad, right? So after, so the fighting and murdering people is the lesser jihad, but there's the inner jihad, what they call the greater jihad. That is where you overcome your nafs, your inner resistance to killing, your inner struggle. So in other words, if you need to go out and kill, which is the lesser jihad, you need to first overcome your inhibitions about murdering people. So you have to go inward and have a spiritual conquest of your, of your internal conflicts about murder so that you yeah. can go forth out into the world and actually commit real murder in the name of jihad. So, yes. so this, is, this is the inner journey um, of the jihad is to overcome your fears of murdering non-believers. Right. And this section here, interestingly, Ma- that, is not that makes so much sense. You know, Friends, it's, it, I know it's, it's like it's when you, it's like when you navel gaze on a pillow and go, Oh, you know? Yeah. Like, Lord, please let me overcome my inhibitions about murder. Yeah. It sounds very holy. And notice this section that I've just highlighted does not appear in the original Arabic. This was added by the translator. This is not part of the original text of this. What, what's there. the note of the translator there? This here, no, this bit here, this section. Oh, okay. Was added by the translator is not part of the original text. Got it. So this was actually added afterwards. So unfortunately, in many of these manuals, many of these translations, they've prettied it up or they've added things, and in fact, in some cases, left out whole paragraphs or whole chapters that weren't comfortable for them. I'm, I want to I'm make a shocked. note. Here. I want to make a note. This hadith, now this is drawn, this idea of the lesser jihad is drawn from a weak hadith, right? And so this hadith appears in the 12th century, which is 500 years after Muhammad died, right? So that hadith first appeared 1,200 years, and it is not in the major hadith collections. You have the Kitab al-Sitta, the six books, right? The six major books. And of course, the most authoritative of those are Bukhari and Muslim, Dawood, Tirmidhi, and so on, right? So it doesn't appear in those. And the idea that the inner struggle is the primary form of jihad contradicts the Quran. In Quran 495, the Quran makes very clear. And Ibn Taymiyyah quotes this, and we'll get to this again in this book, and he discusses it. Those believers who sit back, who sit at home, basically, are not equal to those who fight in the path of Allah with their wealth and their selves. Now, you'll see in other translations, see their blood and also their lives. See, so this is a really nice translation. They've taken out the word lives. So those who fight in the path of Allah with their wealth and their lives are greater in Allah's sight than those who sit at home. Allah has favored those who perform jihad with their wealth and with their lives by degrees over those who sit back. So yeah, just wanted to make a note of that in case that ever came up. 
So I'll just read the highlighted bits here. So the scriptural basis for jihad prior to scholarly consensus, which is scholarly consensus defined in section B7, are Quranic verses, fighting is prescribed for you. Quran 2, 216. And prescribed is a legal term. And prescribed means that you have to do it. You are told, you are ordered to do it. Two, slay them wherever you find them. Quran 4.89, and fight the idolaters utterly, Quran 9.36. We're always told, well, you're taking that out of context. Well, in this case, it looks like the Sharia is taking the Quran out of context, but it seems to be quite happy to do so and to say that these words mean what they say. We're always told, no, they don't mean what they say. Well, they darn well do. See, I use nice language, and that was family-friendly language. <laughs> and they also refer to the Hadiths. The hadiths are authoritative. And in fact, if you look for the word hadiths in the Sharia, you'll find it hundreds of times. And it says here, I have been commanded to fight people until they testify that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Notice there's no qualification saying, well, you know, if they fight you first, nonsense. It says, my job is to fight people till they turn Muslim. And it says here, if they say that there's no God but Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger, they have saved their blood and their possessions from you. So we will then not shed their blood. So very interesting, right? So let's move forward. Any comments or questions? No. Uh, Sonia's in the uh, chat watching. Oh. And, uh, hey, Sonia. Uh, yeah, f some people making some pretty decent comments. We got about uh, 100 people watching between all the, the, okay. the, the streams, so. Yeah, so we need to kill this idea of jihad dead. This is this, this wrong idea that's out there. So the obligatory character of jihad. So it says here in the Sharia that jihad is obligatory upon the Muslims and jihad is a communal obligation. And it says when enough people perform it to successfully accomplish it, it is no longer obligatory upon the rest. In other words, that small minority that is explained in this Sharia ruling. Enough people have to do it for it to be successful and the balance can then stay at home. And we'll cover this in another Sharia manual. And the evidence is that is where the Prophet said, the Muhammad said, he who provides the equipment for a soldier and jihad has himself performed jihad. And here they quote this, those believers who are unhurt but sit behind are not equal to those who fight in Allah's path with their property and with their lives. And that is Quran 4.95. So that verse in the Sharia manuals it's taken literally. It is taken literally. If none of those perform jihad, so if, no, if none of those concerned perform jihad and it does not happen at all, then everyone who is aware that jihad is obligatory is guilty of sin. All the Muslims will fall into sin if no one performs jihad. So if there was a possibility of having performed jihad and no one does it, then all the Muslims fall into sin. And it says here, in the time of Allah, I'm oh sorry, of the Prophet, jihad was a communal obligation after his emigration, the Hijrah, to Medina. As for subsequent times, and I guess we're living in subsequent times, there are two possible states in respect to non-Muslims. Let me zoom in here. <clears throat> the first is when they are in their own countries, in which case jihad is a communal obligation. So when foreigners, non-Muslims, are in their own countries, it is a communal obligation for Muslims to go and fight them. And this is what our author is speaking of when he says jihad is a communal obligation upon the Muslims each year. 
they're required to make jihad. That small minority is required. The second state is when non-Muslims invade a Muslim country. Okay, so now the second state, they, they mentioned this is secondary. And in all the Sharia manual, it is secondary. Defensive jihad is always secondary, right? But the primary meaning of jihad is warfare against the unbelievers to impose Islam. And in their, in their own lands, not in the Islamic countries as well. Yes, in their own lands. They are to export the jihad, correct. And jihad is personally obligatory for everyone able to perform it, male or female, old or young. I'll get back into that in a moment. Who is obliged to fight in jihad? 09.4, those called upon to perform jihad when it is a communal obligation are every able-bodied man who has reached puberty and is sane. That would explain sudden jihad syndrome because every Muslim man who is sane and has reached puberty is obliged to fight in jihad. But that doesn't mean every single one because if enough people are performing it, then the rest don't have to. That obligation is lifted from them. So jihad is fad al-kifaya. It's a communal obligation, right? However, if the Muslims are attacked, then every single citizen of that country is obliged to fight in jihad. Now, but here's the thing. Defensive warfare is covered in law. It's natural law. In fact, if you were attacked, if your country is attacked, of course you would defend yourself. That is nothing special. But they add the secret source, which says, well, 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 we also need to go to foreigners' lands and convert them to Islam with force. So let's look at the objectives of jihad in section 09.8. The caliph makes war upon Jews, Christians, and Zoroastrians. Yeah, because um, because the Jews want to have them, the Jews have a death wish, want to kill themselves, and therefore they created Islam to to kill themselves. And the Christians, which are the Catholics, created Islam to kill themselves because they wanted to kill themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's yeah. Somebody made a comment about that in the chat earlier. Didn't the Catholic Church create Islam? You know, to to fight against the no. Jews, and and you know, we already did a whole show on this topic, you know. But I want to see the people who believe that the Jews created Islam get into a boxing ring with the people who say the Church created Islam. Get into a ring with the guys who said that the Swiss Illuminati created Islam, and I want them all to fight it out until they can all come to a conclusion. Because the, yeah, guys, you're all right. All of you are correct. Right. The Martians did it, but the people from Jupiter did it. The Zeta Reticulans did it. The Catholics, did it, the Ju yeah, yeah, they all did it. You're right. <laughs> well, you know, you're and right. and we've already exposed how ridiculous that is. The reason why the Vatican has a wall around it today was to keep the Islamist uh, attacks away, and then uh, yeah, they invaded twice. Right, and then uh, the the Islamic texts say that all Jews must be killed, and we're sure. go we're going through. Yeah all of this stuff. So why would the Jews create it when they believe that all Jews must be killed? I mean, you got to, I mean, yeah, but these are, these that. are people that never once even think about reading the Islamic text or any religious and, text for themselves. They just spew dumb stuff that they heard, you know? Well, this, this dupus that was, that was hassling us in the comments earlier. Think about it. I asked him, show me your text, show me your quotes, show me your evidence. He can't. All he can say is Lloyd, you're stupid. Lloyd, you're dumb. The guy could barely spell, right? Right. He couldn't spell, right? But but okay, fine. He had no evidence to provide. He just wanted to vent, right? But also think about this. I can provide, dude. I I've got dozens of these books. I can read this ad nauseum for days. We have the detail of what the Muslims want to do, of what what is what Sharia requires of, of Islam and Muslims. 
But when people talk about the Talmud, they can only take the odd isolated quote because there is no such doctrine within Judaism. There is no such doctrine within Christianity. Show me the Sharia of the Bible. Love to see it. Love to see it. But I can show you the Sharia of Islam. I have 500 of these bloody books. Okay. And I have shared it out with people. If you want it, let me know. But I've got 500 of these. So, yeah. Anyway, so the caliph makes war upon Jews, Christians, and Zoroastrians, provided he has first invited them to enter Islam in faith and practice. And if they will not, then invited them to enter the social order of Islam by paying the non-Muslim poll tax, the jizya. Now, here's a couple of things. The social order means you become a dhimmi. A dhimmi is a semi-slave, a third-class citizen. It's not a pleasant situation, right? You are an extremely lowly position and you are humiliated, right? They have to take the money from you while humiliating you. We've covered this in the past in other episodes and I've, I've covered it on different shows as well. And the poll tax is also known as a head tax. And a head tax is also known as a capitation tax. It's a tax that is taken from you no matter what. You have to pay it no matter what your worth is, no matter what. You have to pay a fixed tax regardless. You have to somehow come up with the money. And the reason it's called a capitation tax is that if you don't pay it, it'll become a decapitation tax. I know they talk very often about the Jews are going to decapitate. Well, Islam is all about decapitation, man. That stuff was all Islamic. So it's very interesting to try to blame the whole idea of decapitation. But let's go on. So, And if you don't pay the tax, let's see what it says. The war continues until they become Muslim or else they pay the Muslim poll tax in accordance with the word of Allah. And the word of Allah says, fight those who do not believe in Allah. And do we believe in Allah? No, we do not. So they must fight all of those who do not believe in Allah, right? And those who do not practice the religion of truth, that is Islam, being of those who have been given the book until they pay the tax out of hand and are humbled, Quran 9, 29. This now, is the interpretation of Quran 9. Right, and this is the so-called uh, religion of truth. Now, we had that quote uh, that was that guy that was debating Sergio earlier. Do you want to show that? Yeah, the religion of truth. Let's have a look. All right, so this guy here, I'm, I, you're not going to be able to see it, but it's, on, uh, it's being shown on yep. screen here. So this guy, Idris... Abu Bakar, uh, if my life is spreading the truth of God, why am I condemned as a sinner? And so uh, what is uh, what truth is? How can you spread truth by lying? You tell me, you know, or if my lie is, excuse me, is spreading the truth of God. So see, when, see, Muslims believe that God is will or Allah is will, just like the Satanists, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, whereas Christians believe that truth or logos is God. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Uh, the Satan is the father of all lies. And so this guy can't understand why lying is a sin, because if even if he's lying for God. But in Christianity, you cannot lie for God because then you would be lying for Satan. So, you know, and interestingly, you know, Baphomet is, as we've shown in previous episodes, is Muhammad. Uh, but, you know, the Satanists believe do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, etc., etc. So it's all about will. So they don't grasp how they're spreading lies for God is somehow a sin because, you know, it's this convoluted uh, pretzel logic that they use, but they're not allowed to use reason because 
reason is logos. And so if we go into uh, uh, just a second here, if we get into the into the the Bible, and I'm going to pull this up here and show it. Um, hold on, the software is loading. I should have had it open. I clicked the wrong software button. So, and I already have it on screen here. So when we when we go into John one, we see the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So going to the Word, the Word we see logos. Okay, so what is logos? Something something said by implication a topic also reasoning uh, mental faculty motive etc so to be you know and islam is specifically against reasoning you're supposed to follow whatever islam says you're not supposed to reason through it and then you can you know you get in deeper and you understand that logic comes from the word logos logic is the art of non-contradictory identification and therefore, uh, logos is synonymous with truth. And then the the Bible, you know, the New Testament re- repeats over 240 times that God is truth, Jesus is uh, truth incarnate, Satan is the father of all lies. But Islamists using takia, they cannot grasp that because they are about promoting uh, lies and not uh, truth. And uh, so... That quote is still showing on your screen, I think. Do you have it up on your side? Yeah, it's here. You can see this? Yeah, um, I, I can see his quote. So I just talked about, I just had my software thing. Yeah. I tried I tried to move yeah. it out of the way and I couldn't. It was like, oh, you're screwed. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. So so basically, um, this guy was saying, well, if I'm lying, you know, but I'm spreading the truth of God through lies. Well, how do you spread truth through lies? Well, yeah, that's what his take on things. So Notice now, this is very important. Jihad is central because the last orders from Muhammad to the Muslims was chapter 9 of the Quran, and then he died. So that's the last full chapter, and all of his orders to go to war are in chapter 9. Notice it says that the coming of Jesus does not entail a separately divine revealed law, for Jesus will rule by the law of Muhammad. Jesus will rule according to Islam. And he says, because Muhammad says, I am the last, there will be no prophet after me. And this does not contradict the final coming of Jesus, since Jesus will not rule according to the gospel, but as a follower of our prophet Muhammad. Yeah, this is the Islamic belief. This is the official, the official Islamic position. Jesus is a Muslim. Jesus will come back as a Muslim. Jesus will fight at the right hand of Muhammad, he will break the cross. In other words, he will destroy the church. He will destroy Christianity. And then he will settle on earth. He will marry, have children, and die. This is the official. This is in the Sharia. This is what Muslims are taught from the age of five in their madrasa manuals. Something we should do at some point is actually go through some of the madrasa manuals. What they are taught as babies from the age of five going up. It's incredible. Anyway, so... Notice section 09.9, the caliph fights all other peoples until they become Muslim. I hope that is clear. Muslims are instructed. Now, yeah, Muslims are instructed to fight all other peoples until they become Muslims. And even idol worshippers must either become Muslim or agree to pay the poll tax. Although other laws, if you look in other locations, um, people who are not people of the book, Jews, Christians, and Zoroastrians, have a choice, become Muslim or die. Those are the options. For most 
for most Muslim Islamic law, sorry, these people are not allowed to pay a tax or a tribute, actually. Let's have a look. We're about to finish off. I'm going to end here. I'm going to end right over there. Let's have a look at some of the laws of the Sharia with, with regards to people who are captured. 09.12. Whoever enters Islam before being captured may not be killed, nor his property confiscated, nor his young children taken captive. So if you convert to Islam, your blood and your property are safe. You may not be killed. Your property is safe and your children are safe. However, notice when a child or a woman is taken captive, they become slaves. Slavery is still legal in Islam. It can never, ever be abolished. Slavery was abolished by Christians. Slavery was abolished by Western nations. Western nations went to war to abolish slavery. In Islam, it is still legal. The only reason it's not openly practiced is that pressure from Western nations has prevented this. But under the Sharia, slavery can never be abolished. It is integral to Islam. So it says here, when a child or woman is taken captive, they become slaves because they are captured. And the woman's previous marriage is immediately annulled. So yeah, you tell me, I mean, how do we, how do we interpret that, Jan? Because everything is how you interpret it. So when a woman is taken captive or a child, they become slaves. How do we interpret that? Does that mean that we have to buy them a Mercedes, send them on their way, give them a plane ticket to France? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to interpret this. How do we do this, Jan? <laughs> you know, wow. Yeah. And, also, yeah. And, and not, and, you know, and not by choice, by force. So she's not yeah. leaving her husband. It's just the fact that she's now a slave, you know, and the irony is the, you know, the black uh, Islamists in the United States, for instance, and that's promoted as freer than Christianity when the, as you and I showed last year, Islam ran the slave trade. Yes, it was. It was responsible for the slave trade. Now, 0914, and we're done with this section. When an adult male is taken captive, the caliph considers the interests of Islam and the Muslims and decides between the prisoner's death, between his slavery, release without paying anything, or ransoming him. If the prisoner becomes a Muslim, he may not be killed, and one of the other three alternatives is chosen. Look at that. If you become a Muslim, they won't kill you. That's interesting. It's almost like they want you to become a Muslim. Very interesting. And let's look at 0915. It is permissible in jihad to cut down the enemy's trees and destroy their dwellings. Now, the, now the enemy's trees. Now, that, if I recall, they actually is another one that they claim is in the Talmud. And so here it is actually right in yeah. the Islamic text. And it's not in the Talmud. But what they do is they do this bait and switch that whatever's in the Sharia and all of these other places they claim is actually the Jews and not themselves. Yep. Now, the reason I mentioned this was that you will often see apologists, and these are the Chrislamic apologists as well, the, you know, the people claiming to be Christians who are secretly Muslims or just idiots, I think is the technical term for them. <laughs> they, they will always say that um, Islam has beautiful laws of war and you're not allowed to cut down trees and you may not destroy dwelling. Because it says here in the Quran, well, unfortunately, that verse is mansuk. It was abrogated. It's, it's no longer valid. It's not valid. The Sharia is the final word. And they'll say, well, that was a different time. Please show me the ruling that says that the Sharia was, uh, has expired. Love to see it. It doesn't exist.
And then, but, you know, but, whoever claimed that would then be an apostate, and then they would be yeah. uh, have to be killed. So they're not yeah. going to admit something like that. They won't ever even quote it because they would have to be killed for doing yeah. so. So this hopefully was, was thought to explain why Muslims will never, ever quote the Sharia. They're embarrassed by this. They're humiliated by this when it's made public. So I told them, look, you're ashamed of it. If you're so proud of this amazing Sharia, the law of Allah, show it to me. If it's so amazing, if it's so impressive, if it's so grand, show me so I too can be impressed. Well, for some reason, every single one of these cowards won't show you because this is what it says. All their lies are exposed, right? Uh, can I do one more, yeah? Just another yeah. Sharia manual, just to confirm. Well, well yeah, if, I mean, we're, we've only gone in 48 minutes. We can go a lot okay, longer. Sweet. Yeah, and then we'll get back to the book. But I, I need to clarify this, where, where Ibn Tamir was getting some of his ideas. When the Muslims enter the enemy's country, hold on, did that say... Did that say when they go to someone else's country? Oh, yeah, that's what it says. That's not defensive. That is offensive. And they besiege the cities or the strongholds of the infidels. It is necessary to invite them to embrace Islam. Ibn Abbas relates to the prophet that he never destroyed anyone without previously inviting them to embrace Islam. If they embrace the faith, it is unnecessary to war with them. So if you become a Muslim under duress, there's no need to war. And here's the clincher, because that which was the design of the war is then obtained without war. So the design of the warfare, the design of jihad is to make everyone, the whole world embrace Islam. And if they don't have to fight you, you just submit, then they've achieved it without having to go to war. The prophet moreover has said, we are directed to make war upon men until such time as they all confess there is no God but Allah. But when they repeat this creed, their persons and properties are in protection. So interesting, if you don't do that, your persons and your properties are not in protection. If they do not accept, then they must pay jizya or capitation tax. By submitting to this tax, war is forbidden and terminated. Let's have a look. The prophet instructed his commanders to call the infidels to the faith because people will hence perceive that they are attacked for the sake of religion and not for the sake of taking their property. People will perceive that they are attacked for the sake of religion. Now, if you read the, <laughs> the Yakin Institute article, they say, no, it's not about religion. They're not being attacked. Bullshit. Yes, they are being, the, the Sharia overrides them completely. Now, notice this. If Muslims attack infidels without calling them to the faith, that Muslim is an offender because this is forbidden. Now, they'll quote you that sentence and up to the, up to the colon, but not the part after it that says, but yet, if he does attack them before inviting them and he slays them, kills them, and takes their property, right, takes their property, neither fine, expiation, or atonement are due. Because that which protects, namely Islam, does not exist in them, nor are they under protection. Very interesting. Your thoughts, Jan? Well, it's blatantly obvious, you know. Uh, they're not going oh. to ad ever admit any of this stuff. They'll, I, I'm, I'm, you know, because yeah. when we expose the Quran, when we went through the Tasfir, when we started exposing the Hadith, etc., they would always go sideways and deny all this. 
I wonder what lies they will try to conjure for for the uh, Sharia, and you know, because you know what we can do at that point is call them out as apostates. You know, you're clearly an apostate. Yeah, it's actually what- you're an apostate. Rule. Um, if you go to section, uh, uh, I showed it on one of the shows. Um, which says it um, was point twenty to deny that all the earth and all people must become Muslim is apostasy. To use the verses in the Quran that say, to you be your religion, to me be my religion, that is apostasy. You are supposed to declare all people must become Muslims. Or to say that, um, uh, there's, there's the other one, the other famous one, they use two, Quran 2, 2, 5, 6, um, you know, and so on. They will say these things. And that, these are all, unfortunately, that declares them as apostates. That now, to, to declare that Islam is not to be the religion for the entire world is apostasy. That's a formal ruling in Islam. Phoebe in the uh, chat says it's all about killing, killing and sex in Islam. Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. Whereas Christianity is about following Christ's example as a righteous way to live in truth. Islam is about murdering everyone who isn't a Muslim and forcing them to become Muslim and follow Allah. And they, and then they have Takia and all of these forms of lying that they will use. And we'll be getting yeah. more into how it ties into Sufism and Gnosticism, et cetera, as we go through this new series. But all of this stuff ties together. And then, you know, as we exposed a little bit last week, this ties into Aldous Huxley and the perennial philosophy and MK Ultra and all of this stuff that I've been exposing for the last decade interestingly all ties into sufi islam etc you know it's all it's all this core group and uh you know it took us years to figure it all out but here it all is yeah uh, yeah no um we're figuring this out now uh, hey sonia nice to see you in the comments thanks for coming on the show and sophie uh, uh, so uh, Sonia, she's been on the show. She was on the show, what, about a month and a half ago, and she left Islam for Christianity. And uh, good on you, Sonia, for helping to expose all of this, and we'll get you back on the show soon. Yeah. Please feel free to reach out. You know, you've got my my numbers, so let's get that set up. Yeah, Sonia's awesome. She's the reason I made the videos that I made, so yeah, blame her. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Uh, Okay, let's let's get back to Ibn Tamir's book. So hopefully you have a basis now for understanding that he is talking straight out of the Sharia. He's not making this up. He's not an extremist. This man is talking bog standard, common or garden, regular Islam. Well, and and right. people need to understand that you know these so-called Islam Islamist extremists, they are not extremists. This is what Islam is. Is. The yeah. the ones that we get along with, that you go out and have dinner with them and hang out with them and stuff, those are Islamic apostates, and they're supposed to be killed like you are. Yeah, yeah, which is weird. Look, the, if you read the Sharia as well, there's different rules for Muslims living in what they call enemy lands. Like a Muslim living in, say, in America or in the UK, that's a Muslim living in enemy lands. That's the term that this particular Sharia manual uses. They also use the term the Dar al-Har, the house of war. Right, because you have the house of Islam, right, and the house of war. Anything that's not the house of Islam or the or the, the area of Islam is the area of war. So yeah, you figure that out for yourself. Okay, so Ibn that Ibn Taymiyyah began to show the merits of the Mujahideen and the virtues of jihad in the cause of Allah. He explained that jihad will be ongoing 
until the day of judgment. And he used the following authentic hadith as a proof. Now, there will always remain a group of people from my nation fighting upon the truth, subjugating their enemies. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Now, I want to show you this, though. Um, I zoomed in. Notice, they were speaking of a heretical sect, which is, I think, the Murtadun or whatever it was, who kept hidden the true nature of their beliefs, siding with the enemies of Islam, and they sought to propagate their creed based on Magian doctrines and Platonic concepts. Now, there was a group, Platonic concepts, that is standard Western thought. Plato, Aristotle, these are standard Western ideas of truth and reality. Islam has contrary ideas of truth and reality. They don't share the same ideas that we have. They view our ideas of truth and reality as deviant. And I mentioned the previous show, the Metazolites, who had, who had a different idea about what the truth was, and they were murdered. He, Ghazali killed a lot of them for disagreeing with his concept of Islamic truth. So Ibn Taymiyyah narrated the different hadith and the ayat, these are verses of the Quran and multiple hadith, that's the plural of hadith, showing the importance of jihad and the inevitable victory of the Muslims. And they also mentioned there is the victorious group, the Mujahideen, Mujahideen warriors. And he proved, Ibn Taymiyyah proved, there is nothing higher in status than jihad. And no rank can rise above the level of Mujahideen and martyrs in the path of Allah. So this guy in the UK that just stabbed a couple of people and I think he got killed for it. Well, that is the highest level in Islam. That is the highest act of devotion in Islam. So you work that out. So he took the responsibility of training the armies and to organize Mujahideen groups. He was responsible for raids against the Tatar military camps. He attacked the region where the Batania people in the mountains of Sham is on, that's Syria. This is an Imam. So the role of an Imam, well, you, hey, you figure out, you work it out for yourself. It's on the page. Notice though, it was later proven to him that they used Takiyah. And in this manual, Takiyah, this is a, is this a Sunni or a Shia manual? Jan, is this Sunni or Shia? Uh, this looks very Sunni to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is very Sunni. And I thought Takiyah was only something that the evil Shia did. Oh my golly. Well, hey, how is that? How is that? Takia is calculated deception or tactical deceit. And we covered uh, that you, on the show about a year ago as well. Yes, we have. Actually, hold on. Let, let me actually go and find something that I want to show people since um, I am here and I'm thinking about it. I'm just going to highlight this entire... I'm just going to enlarge the font so people can see this. Oops, my bad. I'm going to move this over. Have a quick look here. Um, Let me move this over to the other side out of the way for a bit. Yeah, I want you to see there are seven forms of deceit in Islam. Seven. Okay. I'm just going to make this much larger. This is the Islamic doctrine of deceit. You have taqiyah, which is a Shia term, certainly. But in Sunni terms, it's called mudarat. And if you look in these dictionaries for Mudarat, in the Islamic encyclopedias for Mudarat, you'll come back to Taqiyya. It is calculated deceit for the purposes of spreading Islam. Then you have Kitman, deceit by silence or omission, which is or lying by omission. An example would be when a Muslim, 
quotes only a fragment of Quran verse 532 that if anyone kills, it shall be as if he had killed all mankind, while neglecting to mention that the rest of the verse and the next mandate murder in undefined cases of corruption and mischief, which is what we talked about earlier, right? I just discussed it, um, which was the temptation, right? And they also demand cutting off the hands and the feet from opposite sides. So they'll tell you these few words and ignore the rest that says, well, and if you find someone doing that, slice off his, his right hand and his left foot. Tauria, deceit through ambiguity. For instance, someone comes to your door and says, is your mom here? And you say, no, she's not. Well, she's not here with you right now in this spot. She's in her bed or she's in the kitchen. She's in the garden, but she's not here. That's deceit through ambiguity. Darura, deceit through necessity to engage in something that is haram or forbidden because you must. Muruna, blending in the temporary suspension of Sharia in order that Muslim immigrants in this example appear moderate. And Hiyal, which is contortion, contrivance, device, subterfuge. So in Islamic jurisprudence, in Islamic law, they have a thing called legalistic trickery. So yeah, religion of truth. There you go. Seven forms of deception and deceit and lying. So yeah, but it's religion of truth. Now notice he did not hesitate. Sorry. He did not hesitate to fight and harm them. And he passed fatwa exposing their hidden beliefs and called for the necessity to fight them. So a bad Muslim must be fought. So when people go, well, you know, Muslims are killing Muslims too. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, because they, they're saying that these people are not good Muslims. We have to kill them because the Sharia says so. Ibn Tamir partnered with this dude, whoever, and he fought against certain people. Okay, now this guy refused to uphold Islamic Sharia and he disrespected Allah's laws, right? He governed the Islamic country by the book of Al-Yasik, which is a mixture of laws from Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and the laws of Genghis Khan. He discarded the laws that were sent down to the Muslims in the Quran and the Sunnah. And because he was an Islamic country and governed according to non-Sharia, he had to be fought. So they must fight their own who deviate, and they must also fight foreigners. Now, shahada and martyrdom, okay? So now when they speak of defending Islam, it doesn't mean defending Islam from invasion by people crossing their borders and attacking and burning their cities. Defending Islam means that there is pure Sharia, and if people are not complying with the Sharia correctly or sufficiently, they must be fought. And just to point out right next to that, it says, and to destroy the Tartarian Empire once and for all, making sure they never return to the land of Islam with their corruption, unlike the first time when the Tartars regrouped themselves after their defeat in the Battle of Ain Jalut and returned to attack the land of the Muslims. And, of course, I've shown uh, many times uh, Tartary, and just so people get a grasp of this who aren't, uh, familiar with Tartary, I'm going to show a Tartary map just to get an idea of how big this empire was. It was ginormous and it encompassed most of, you know, probably like a third or more of the earth at the time. Let me just find a, okay, so, and here's one of the maps. Some of, uh, some of the maps show Tartary extending over to most of Europe as well, but this was the original old world order and uh, so now of course you got the new world order where they want to bring in islam 
But Grand Tartary, it took up a third of China, India, all the way down into the Middle East, Europe, etc. This was one gigantic Christian uh, uh, empire. And, you know, Genghis Khan, etc. were rulers of Tartary. And the the Wall of China, that's a misnomer. It was actually the Great Wall of Tartary, and the entrances were on the Tartar side to keep the Chinese out. And, of course, the communist Chinese changed all of that to cover that up. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's interesting is that when I went to the Palace of Jan Sobieski, King, King Jan Sobieski, um, here in Warsaw, I went to visit the museum. And they had one of these huge, I sent you the photos, remember, it was one of these huge round globes. It's about a meter and a half yep. um, in um, diameter. And um, and um, it was, it had Tartary on it. It actually had Tartary on it. it Did it huge. really? Yeah. And, yep. and you know. And, I sent you the photos. And so, you know, in uh, what, about 1850 to 1890, they literally went through all the history books and everything, and rewrote everything and, and removed uh, any mention of this huge Christian empire, you know. And so when you, you know, and see, when I used to live in uh, Serbia, uh, the, you know, people there would tell me, well, sir, you know, the, uh, uh, Serbia used to be the capital of this huge empire, uh, Tartary, and, uh, you know, and they also talked about Constantinople used to be called Zadigrad, or, or in Russian it would be Zargrad. And I had never heard this history, and I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And, um, you know, but now it's just so, you know, once you understand, it's so blatantly obvious that, that once the jihadists, the Islamists, took over Tartary, they did a complete rewrite of history. And we, we exposed last week that the Illuminati is actually from the ulama, and that the ulama uh, is uh, Islamic, you know. So here, and I've got this on screen here too, just really quick. But the ulama, scholars of Muslim religious law. Ulama learned men scholars, pearl of alim learned to know. And that goes into Gnosticism as well. But the ulama or the so-called Illuminati and Adam Weishaupt, etc., what this exposes is that these were all crypto-Islamists and Sufis and whatnot. So that's the big, the big secret going on that uh, they covered up, and of course the whole thing has been spun and blamed on the Jews, and it took us, you know, so far over a year to unpack all of this, and we're still not done. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to oh, take another year. And thanks, uh, E. Daniel Ritter, for your super chat, $99 uh, or ninety nine ninety nine. He says, if you guys keep posting all of this, they're going to rename it Juhad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Look, they will spin everything and anything. At the moment, there's a huge effort to try to, to say that Jihad is in the Bible. Jesus was guilty of Jihad. Um, I'd like to see the Sharia of the Bible, but yeah, it doesn't exist. So um, yeah, they, they're trying to make... Christianity be the religion of violence and Islam the religion of peace. It's it's coming. It's happening fast. Um, so at some point, I need to do a complete, um, shall we say, defense of the Bible. I need to start turning that around again because it's it's getting ridiculous. Well, you know, somebody made a, a clever comment a bit ago in the chat that E. Michael 
Jihad, Jihad. is <laughs> the funny. is the leader of uh, promoting Chrislam, right? E. Michael Jihad. That's Jihad. hilarious. Yeah, that's, and that's you and I, you know, and, and he's been on my show a number of times. But as you and I were researching all of this over the last year, we realized that he is spinning a whole lot of uh, yeah. misinformation, you know. Yeah, no, look, he's a very intelligent guy. I would look, that guy's got a brain, okay? Not someone you want to take on lightly. Uh, he's very intelligent, slippery as all hell. Um, so he's smart. So if he's going to be spinning a story, it's going to be a, it's going to, it's not going to be trivial to take it apart. He's someone that actually has quite a bit of intellect. That's, that's, that's going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, most of the other guys are complete idiots. I mean, they're, they're just dumb. Um, Sonia, I saw that you, you mentioned, um, going back to some of the, the laws of Noah. I've actually been working on my notes. I have far more detailed notes than I had um, six months or a year ago, whenever it was, I did that. My notes are much more detailed, much more decisive, I think. And uh, I've just, I just discovered some new stuff today. So um, yeah, definitely something we can talk about, plan, and then we can, we can do another round hitting the subject pretty hard. And I think it's time we, we, we revisited that. So uh, Dio Strabo says, Tartary was a name to refer to the loosely controlled tribal lands. The conspiracy that it was an empire began with the communist propagandist Anatoly Fomenko, whose theories were endorsed by the USSR. Most of Anatoly Fomenko's books were written after the collapse of the USSR. Dio has clearly never read any of them. I, he's probably taking that quote off the, off the single paragraph from Wikipedia, but we've gone into this. We did a whole series with, um, oh geez, with uh, Jacob Duhlman showing all of this, but this is actually out of Islamic texts that we're reading from. So how you're going to spin what the yeah, Islamic this, texts this say is a, is a communist. Ibn Taymiyyah died in 1326. Right. And so this, you know, try to explain how someone who died in 1326 spun that into a communist USSR conspiracy. You're not, your logic is kind of, so yeah, look, good I mean, luck I, with that. There's a lot there. I mean, look, I, I am, I personally think the calendar is the calendar. I'm willing to accept that there's mistakes in it, certainly. But, but for Minka, I wouldn't trust as far as I can throw a piano or an elephant. Well, I've uh, I've read a couple of his books and they're pretty phenomenal. But you know, I mean, the guy's got a hundred books out there. But yeah, I mean, the issue is we've seen so much disinformation coming out of Russia. But the the fact of the matter is, is this guy's work that we're showing on screen here is you know six hundred years before then. Yeah. So now this book is a is a is a translation of a section from the chapter entitled Jihad al Kufar al Qital al Fasa which means jihad against the disbelievers, the decisive fight. There you go. That, so we're about to go through this, jihad against the kafir, the decisive fight. So Muslims must mount a decisive fight against the disbelievers. Now, understand that jihad is not necessarily a permanent state of fighting. It's a permanent state of war. And war... Oh, oh. Here, this clown is now saying, oh, so you're assuming that what we're actually showing on screen is an Islamic text, even though this is based, this is Sharia law 
from the leading one of the leading Sharia law experts. These guys. This just, is one of the twenty-four major scholars in Islam. This right. Is yeah. I mean. Yeah. And any. If you have the correct book, and I have the wrong one. Please send me a copy. Love to see it. Also, send me a copy of the Secret Talmud while you're at it. Right. Yeah. These people just, you know. Oh well, you're assuming and, that the book is fake, even though you know he's accepted by all Islamists today. And yeah, so, he's one of the major scholars of Islam. I mean, he he wrote Sharia texts, and I, I we did one of his Sharia texts last week. We went through like fifteen pages, nineteen pages of one of his other actual Sharia manuals. This is based off the Sharia, but this is not a Sharia manual. Well, you know, at least you know, read both books, read the Sharia, go through the other twenty-three shows we've already done on Islam, etc. So the and New then, World Order gave you the three main religions based on the Old Testament. Why would you believe anything from? Why would I believe anything from you? <laughs> on a scale from one to ten, I would say you're stupid. <laughs> so oh, good grief. All right, let's move on. Right. So now, so this is the book, right? So let's continue. Uh let me see. I'm just trying to look around my camera so that we can try and try and finish this as we go. So again, the second of the two verses refers to the commanders of the armies. So it is it is important that they must obey Muslim rulers in authority who govern by the Sharia. If the Muslim ruler does not govern by the Sharia, they are meant to overthrow him, and he must protect the Mus they must protect Muslim lands. Right? When they say protect Muslim lands, again, these terms have meanings that we are not necessarily privy to. But one is obviously protect the borders, which any country has the right to do. But also protect Muslim lands means means make sure they remain Islamic. In other words, people follow the Sharia, and if they deviate, to attack them. Right? So. Now, they mention here the penalties that the Sharia has introduced for those who disobey Allah and his messenger. And notice, non-Muslims are disobeying Allah and his messenger. Not just Muslims. Non-Muslims are blatantly disobeying. I am blatantly disobeying Allah and his messenger by not converting to Islam. Right? Now, the punishment of those who are under the sway of the Imam, Muslims, both individuals and collectives, as has been mentioned before in the, ch in the chapter on criminal law, right? And then he mentions the punishment of recalcitrant groups such as that can only be brought under the sway of the imam by a decisive fight. So you have a second group, a recalcitrant, another group that doesn't want to join, that's hesitant, that's holding back. Those that can only be brought under the sway of the imam by a decisive fight. They can only bring you into the fold of Islam by fighting you. That then is a jihad against the unbelievers, the kafir, the enemies of Allah and his messenger. So we as non-Muslims are enemies of Allah and Muhammad. Whoever has heard the summons of the messenger of Allah and has not responded to it must be fought. Did you respond to the call of Muhammad, Jan? Definitely not. So, yeah, you think you're wrong, but you know what? It's been really, really nice having you around, but... Um, but the New yeah. World Order has given you is Christianity. Yeah, you know, and they don't see these people like this guy, Joe Ingrafia. He's too stupid to go and read the New Testament and the Bible himself and understand that Christians literally worship truth as God. He thinks that somehow the New World Order 2,000 years ago gave him Christianity. The New World Order is a new concept. The Old World yeah. Order was Tartary. But somehow in his delusional, twisted mind, they went back and planted it 2,000 years ago. And never mind, it's consistent all through history. But, yeah. and, and, you and know, also, but he's never bothered to read the book himself. He's one of these people 
who's so ignorant that they think they know more than everybody who's actually read it. You know, and they don't know the books, they don't know the doctrine. They don't right. Know the, it, it's always amazing to me. The most ignorant people always think that they're the most educated on a subject, even though oh, they've never bothered to read any of it. Talk about, you know, Dunning Kruger effect, right? Yeah, we got one tweet asking, "Why does the CIA support Al Qaeda? Like, is that relevant?" Now. First well, of all, the CIA, guy, the CIA did have John Brennan as the they're, former they're CIA. Yeah, well, look, that's a distraction. That's a story for another day. That's just plain, that's stupid people making stupid comments because, yeah. Um, first of all, Joe Ingraffia obviously has a system for us that will work. Definitely. You shouldn't follow these things. We need socialism. That is more than likely going to be his message. And um, yeah, so he's got that for us. You know, definitely. He's got socialism because we can't do this stuff. And he, you know, I bet if I had a debate with him, called him on the show and said, okay, now impress us with your knowledge, he'd know Jack. So, every anyway. every single time. And and meanwhile, we're showing the actual text on screen. But how do you know this is an actual Islamic text from – it's like good grief, man. These people don't even do 10 minutes worth of study before they start spewing nonsense, you know. It's like you yeah. got your sub-95 IQ people. Now, let's move on. I've got a long yeah. book to read. Okay, then we can debate after the after the show. So, for whoever has heard the summons of the messenger of Allah and has not responded to it, must be fought. And here he quotes the Quran until there is no more fitna and religion is entirely for Allah. This is again 929, right? You can see here this is 929, and this is and also that verse comes from a chapter that is. It's, good, it's given different names, right? But one of the names of that chapter nine is called the ultimatum. People will use different names. They'll have nice little names for it, but it translates correctly as the ultimatum. So when Allah sent his prophet and ordered him to summon the people to his religion, he did not permit him to kill or fight anyone for that reason before the prophet immigrated to Medina. So Muslims will tell you, hey, but, but he didn't permit anyone to fight. And then they'll stop, you know, kill or fight anyone, they'll stop right there and forget to read the rest of it, right? Thereafter, Allah gave him and the Muslims permission with the words. Permission is given to those who are fought because they were wronged, blah, 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 because they, they had to leave town, they were not popular, and they were wronged, and it was wrong to wrong them because they're perfect. And then after that, he imposed fighting on them with the following words. Fighting is prescribed for you though it be hateful to you. Yet it may happen that you will hate a thing that is better for you. And it may happen that you love a thing that is worse for you. Allah knows and you know not. So eventually fighting became prescribed for Muslims. Now, not every single Muslim, but that small minority as part of Fad Kifaya, because jihad is Fad Kifaya, a communal obligation. So he has emphasized this command and glorified jihad in many of the Medinan chapters. That's, so the Quran is divided into the Meccan chapters and the Medinan chapters. In the Meccan chapters, he had Muhammad had no political power. He was just a preacher. In fact, he was unsuccessful. He was a failure as, a, as, a, as an evangelist. After like 13 years, he had 150 followers. And then he was invited to a different city. Well, not, not quite invited. That's, that's another story. He then ended up in another city. He became leader of the city. He became wealthy, raised an army, and then started fighting everybody. And once he had military, once he was a political leader and a military leader, then he gained success. Then Islam became successful because he could put a sword in someone's neck and it's like, so do you want to be a Muslim? And people were like, 
uh, yeah, don't chop off my head and I'll be one. So yeah, so he emphasized, so he has criticized those who fail to participate in jihad and he has called them hypocrites and sick in their hearts. So oh, that's, that's so cute. That's, that's really endearing. If your fathers and your sons and your brothers and your wives and your clan and your wealth that you have gained and the commerce that you fear may decline and the dwellings that you love are dearer to you than Allah and his messenger. In other words, if you don't love Muhammad more than everything in your life, everything, and you don't love jihad in Allah's way, then wait till Allah brings his punishment because Allah does not guide the rebellious. That is a threat. In other words, you got to go out and murder the non-believers or you're violating Allah's um, prescription. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. So only those are the believers who have believed in Allah and his messenger. They've not doubted and they have made jihad with their possessions and their lives in the way of Allah. Those are the truthful. You tell me. You tell me that this is the Quran. This is the Quran interpreted. That Surah Al-Hujarat, number 15. Uh, Hujarat, I don't know which chapter that is, but whatever. Um, yeah, they should have just named them the chapter numbers, but they named them instead. So yeah, so this is the inter interpretation of the Quran. This by one of the, the major scholars in Islam. So let's keep going. And yeah, we should be able to finish this within reasonable time. Another 10 minutes, hopefully. So then when a clear surah is sent down, right, a, a verse is sent down and therein fighting is a chapter and therein fighting is mentioned. You see those in whose heart is sickness looking at you as one who faints of death, but better for them would be obedience and words honorable. In other words, when a surah, a chapter is sent where fighting is mentioned, you see people going like, well, you know, I'm not too keen to get and murder people today. I'm a little busy. I, I got, uh, it's Tuesday. They say, no, it's better would be to just be obedient, do it. And that is where the greater jihad comes in. This is where the greater jihad is overcoming your unwillingness to obey Allah and overcome your inhibitions. You have to sit down and, and meditate and, and realize that you have to yeah. go out and murder. Yeah, there are numerous similar verses in the Quran and equally frequent is the glorification of jihad and those who participate in it. So, yeah. So jihad is considered as the, the, the highest calling in Islam. And in fact, you know, there's no, there's no redemption in Islam. You know, in Christianity, you've got redemption. You have, Jesus has, has basically redeemed you and you go to heaven through grace. In Islam, there's no such concept. The only guaranteed entrance into paradise, the only entrance into salvation in Islam is jihad, is to die in jihad. That's the only guaranteed way. So, yeah, oh, you who believe, shall I direct you to a commerce? Now, notice they use the word commerce. Now, when you say the Shahada, when you say the Shahada and become a Muslim, that's called the Baya. And Baya is, a, is considered, if you look in the Sharia, it falls under commerce and it's a contract. It's a contract of sale. It's actually a contract of sale, right? If you start reading through the, 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 actual, uh, the actual Sharia references to this effectively you are selling your allegiance but more correctly you are selling your soul so yeah that that's something for another day but buyer interesting you who believe shall i direct you to a commerce that shall deliver you from a painful torment the torment of the grave how that you believe in allah and his messenger and make jihad in the way of allah with your wealth and your lives 
that is better for you. He will forgive you your sins. That is the supreme success. So you will go into the Garden of Eden if you make jihad with your wealth and your life, and then Allah will forgive you your sins, and this is the supreme success. There you go. That's how you get into heaven in Islam. Guaranteed. Do you want to uh, take a second to add uh, answer Pod Kirch's questions there? What's he saying there? Well, he's wondering why we support uh, Saudis with, you know, the head choppers with U.S. weapons and whatnot. Do you have any? Uh, that, look, it gets pretty complex. I mean, that, look, that's pretty complex. Look, Saudis are enemies, quite bluntly. There are enemies. But also, they are worse enemies as well. Iran's a major enemy. And so Saudi is under threat from Iran. In fact, and also Qatar is vying with Saudi you know, for control of Islam, for control of Sunni Islam. So there's a major financial battle going on between them. And um, so Iran is threatening all of them, though. And, but Qatar is basically hedging their bets and siding with Iran in this one. So the U.S. obviously was buying oil. But now that the, but now under Trump, the last three years, U.S. has become the world's biggest oil exporter. And, um, and it's not producing oil, which means that Saudi is no longer as influential in the U.S. And so America doesn't need them for oil. So, so to, to a large degree, Trump has changed the equation and he's got them by the short and curlies. Um, so yeah, there's a lot happening as well. When I, when I was lost there, when I, when I lived there, you could see things were changing politically. Things were starting to change. People realized there, was, there were things were happening. So Trump is making change and I'm sensing changes on the ground. Um, yeah, so the U.S. government, why did they do multi-billion dollar weapons deal? Because also the U.S. industry, you need the, that money funds people's lives. I mean, you need that, you need that money to come in. Trump has done but an absolutely don't... fantastic job as president, yeah. too. You know, and the State well, of the people, Union address last night was amazing. What people don't realize is when I worked in the military industry in the US, in um, the Middle East, the weapon systems that go across to other countries are limited. They're not the same as the ones in the U.S. They've got parts and features that are disabled. So you, you don't get the same functionality. You don't get the same capability. You don't get the same quality. There are certain limitations on those. So they're not as good as what the American military will use. There are going to be some degree of limitations in the software. There's going to be some parts missing. So it's not going to see as far and it's going to be quite as fast, not going to be quite as good. So there are differences. And uh, that money goes back and it really is important. I mean, you know, so look, these things are a problem, but it's more complex than just black or white. You know, why are you still nice with your parents who hate you? You know, things like that. You know, you know, it's like, it's how it is. It's just life. It's complex. Um, but yeah, that's the story for another day. I mean, that's, um, I'm kind of on this right now. So this is now in the Quran. Do you reckon that the giving of water to pilgrims and taking care of the holy mosque is the same as one who believes in Allah in the last day and makes jihad in the way of Allah? So in other words, people who give water to pilgrims, who give charity, and people who care for the mosque are not at the same, in the same category, not as important as people who make jihad in the way of Allah. They are not equal in Allah's sight. It's blunt, it's blatant, right? They are not equal in Allah's sight. Those who believe and those who have noticed this emigrated, because emigration, moving to other countries, and this is non-violent, so this is non-violent jihad. Immigration is a form of jihad, right? So taking your family, going to another country, settling and building mosques and building Islamic communities, that's a form of jihad. So those who have emigrated and have made jihad in the way of Allah with their wealth and their lives are mightier in rank with Allah. They are the triumphant. 
So those people who go on immigration, like those, like those guys who go from North Africa to Europe in those little rubber dinghies, if they die on that journey, they die as jihadis and they go to paradise because they have risked their lives in the way of Allah, right? And for them await gardens when is lost in bliss and stern towards unbelievers fighting in the path of Allah, not fearing the blame of any blamer. So Muslims must be stern towards the unbelievers or harsh towards the unbelievers, that's us. They must fight in the path of Allah and they mustn't care what anyone thinks. They mustn't care what we think. Yeah, cute, that's so nice. Now notice again, those who fight in the way of Allah are not smitten by thirst. They don't get tired. There's no emptiness in their souls. There is no emptiness in the way of Allah because these are the good doers. These are the people who do good and Allah may recompense them with the best. So thus he has mentioned the reward resulting from their deeds. Okay. And the command to participate in jihad and the mention of its merits occur innumerable times in the Quran and in the Sunnah. It is the best voluntary religious act that a man can perform. All scholars agree that jihad is better than the Hajj. That's going to Mecca. It's called the Greater Pilgrimage. So, uh, Muhammad Amin has joined us in the chat now. Oh, Muhammad Amin, what a lie. So, so Muhammad Amin, so tell me something. You say you can't be a Muslim unless you believe in Jesus, but then you call Jesus a pig? Uh, you're that guy, so uh, you know. Well, and really he he probably missed the the show earlier where we showed his quotes on screen. Uh, he's seen the video where he mentions that he, uh, yeah, you know, he's the guy that goes around calling Jesus a pig, and uh, but I can only be a Muslim if I believe in all the prophets. Yeah, right, whatever. That dude. Um, Some serious talk. Yeah, just talk post your yeah. lies in the comment. I'm looking forward to them, Muhammad. Yeah, post um, post post up your takia there. We're we're waiting for it. We're ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're all for it. And uh, hey, and um, I'm not as lenient as I'm here to spank. What? Spank the spanking the monkey? That's all you're doing. <laughs> and he's going to blame his hairy palms on the Jews, no doubt. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I hope you've got small hands. <laughs> you know. Oh damn. <laughs> yeah. So um, now notice the head of the affair is Islam. Its central pillar is the Salat. And now this is the prophet. Muhammad said this, right? The prophet has said the head of the affair is Islam. Its central pillar is the Salat. And the summit is Jihad. So this is Muhammad himself saying this. The summit of Islam, the pinnacle of Islam is Jihad. So all these Allah has prepared. So in paradise, there are a hundred grades with intervals as wide as the distance from the sky and the earth. All of these are lives prepared for those who take part in jihad. The rewards are innumerable. So his feet have become dust in the way of Allah. In jihad, Allah will save him from the hell fire. There you go. You'll be saved from hell. You go to paradise. And of course, you're going to get your huris and you're going to get your women and you're going to get your boys with the doe-eyed boys with the, with the soft faces. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> Sure, whatever, buddy, whatever, you know, oh. uh, I should put the hashtag no homo, but yeah. So in the Sahih of Bukhari, as well as the Sahih of Muslim, we find a man said, oh, messenger of Allah, tell me of an act that equals jihad in the way of Allah. And he answered, you will not be capable of it. The man said, tell me anyway. The messenger of Allah said, can you, when a jihad warrior has gone out an expedition, fast without interruption and spend the night in continuous prayer? The man said, no. Then the messenger of Allah said, this then is what equals jihad. 
the night spent in continuous prayer. It's a holy act. So there is nothing more holy in Islam than going out and killing in jihad. In the Sunnah, we find what Muhammad has said. Indeed, every nation has its tourism. And the tourism of my nation is jihad in the path of Allah. Uh, I don't know. What does that mean? Can someone interpret that for me? I'm a little slow. So, yeah, the benefit of jihad extending not only to the person who participates in it, but also to others in a religious sense. Jihad implies all kinds of worship. More than any other act, it implies love and devotion for Allah. Surrender of one's life and property to him. Individual or community. So an individual or community that participates in it finds itself between two blissful outcomes, either victory and triumph or martyrdom and paradise. And then you say, oh, all creatures must live and die. Now it is in jihad that one can live and die in ultimate happiness. This is indoctrination. Because you go out and murder people, so therefore you'll be happy through murder. Yeah, so you are taught. You're taught that this is, this is, this is holy and this, is, this will make you happy. This is the ultimate bliss. Jihad is religiously more beneficial than any other deed. I, how obvious can this be? We've, we've read the Sharia, two different Sharia manuals, two highly authoritative Sharia manuals, right? And now this guy's book, it, it is, you know? Um, so yeah, so the death of a martyr is easier than any other form of death. In fact, it is the best of all manners of dying. So I'm gonna try and finish the book. We're nearly done with this thing. Lawful warfare is essential jihad, essentially jihad. So lawful warfare is essentially jihad. And since its aim is that the religion, so the aim of jihad is that all religion is entirely for Allah. And the word of Allah is uppermost, supreme in other words, supremacist. In other words, like, like you had Soviet supremacism or whatever, Soviet imperialism, well, this is Arab imperialism. According to all Muslims, those who stand in the way of this aim must be fought. So whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim, if you fight in the way of them imposing Islam, you must be fought. I mean, there's plenty of references I can go to. Uh, we've done them in the past. I can do this again. We can do something specific to jihad from the Sharia and show you the scholarly support for it and even modern scholars. For those who cannot offer resistance or cannot fight, right, such as women, children, monks, old people, and so on, blah, they shall not be killed unless they actually fight with words. Notice they are not to kill. Now, Muslims will tell you, but Islam says, don't kill the women, don't kill the children, don't kill monks, don't kill old people, unless they speak out. Unless they say something against you, then you can kill them. Like, yeah, he said something I didn't like. He said he doesn't like Islam. He said Muhammad was a whatever, you know. And um, yeah, then you can kill them. And he acts by spying or otherwise assisting in the warfare. Notice how vague that he's otherwise assisting. Like, what the heck is that? You know, so some jurists are of the opinion that all of them may be killed on the mere ground that they are unbelievers. And therefore, some people are going to act on this because they will accept that ruling. They make an exception for women and children since they constitute property for Muslims. Don't kill the women and children because those are property. And what did we see in the Sharia earlier? They become slaves automatically. So, yeah, women and children are the property of Muslims. There you go. Ask yourself what's happening in Rotherham in, in the UK. Property of the Muslims. However, the first opinion is the correct one because we may only fight those who fight us when we want to make the religion of Allah victorious. 
So think about this. Now they tell you, well, we only fight defensively. But now he says, now this is very tricky. Notice this. We may only fight those who fight us when we want to make the religion of Allah victorious. So we invade your country to force Islam on you. And then you have the audacity to fight us. Now we have no choice but to fight you. So we only fought you in defense after we attacked you to impose Islam. Right. <laughs> you know, it's always amazing the fanciful pretzel logic, you know, and the, they do the dosi do to, uh, to justify their, you know, their, their, their thinking and what they teach in this stuff. And there's always just some wild spin, but there is no logic or reason in Islam. You have to follow what the texts say. You have to follow Sharia. That's it. And that's what is yeah. halal, you know? Yeah, no. So, Takia Bell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. So fitna is more grievous than slaying. Now notice, um, um, so look, you know that the, that the Quran says, fight them until there's no more persecution and worship is devoted only to Allah, right? So fitna, remember, is temptation is more grievous than slaying. So in other words, what we are doing right now is fitna. Right. We are rebelling. We are mocking, I guess. And we are leading people away from Islam. That is fitna. And what we are doing is more grievous than slaying, than murder. So a Muslim killing someone who is guilty of fitna is committing not a sin that is any. Well, that person that is that is that is guilty of fitna, of tempting away people or trying to lead people away from Islam is guilty of a far more heinous sin than the Muslim who goes and kills him. Because the Muslim who goes and kills him is actually doing an act of devotion, of religious devotion. So although there is evil and abomination in killing, there is greater evil and abomination in the persecution of the unbelievers. Notice persecution doesn't mean I came and I punched you in the face. Persecution means I didn't accept Islam. We didn't allow you to propagate Islam. We didn't allow you to spread Islam. So the Sharia enjoins fighting the unbelievers, right? If a male unbeliever is taken captive as a result of a shipwreck or because he lost his way or, fascinatingly, as a result of a ruse, in other words, as a result of being deceived, then the head of state, the imam, may, may do whatever he deems appropriate. So if they deceive you, whatever, then the head of state now owns you and he can decide whether to kill you, enslave you, release you, or set you free for a ransom. This is the view of most jurists and it is supported by the Quran and the Sunnah. Hey, it's in the Quran and the Sunnah, it's right. Now some jurists who hold that the option of releasing them or setting them free for ransom have been abrogated. As for, now notice, we just read this in the Sharia. He's now quoting the very same Sharia that I just read at the beginning. As for the people of the book, the al Kitab and the Zoroastrians, the Majus, so that's basically Jews and Christians, they are to be fought until they become Muslims or they pay the tribute out of hand and have been humbled. There you go, bluntly stated. Um, so yeah, Jews and Christians must be fought until they become Muslims. If a rebellious group belonging to Islam refuses to comply with clear and universally accepted commands, all Muslims agree that jihad must be waged against them in order that the religion will be for Allah in totality. No exception. As the Messenger of Allah not said, I've been ordered to fight people and they, until they profess that there is no, no God but Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's Messenger. 
If they say that, their lives and properties will be safe. Unless, and here's the odd bit, unless there is a rule of law that allows taking them. So it says that if you turn and become Muslim, then your lives and your properties are safe. Your lives and your blood are safe. Well, your blood and your property are safe unless there is a rule of law that allows taking them. And suddenly you realize that all of these rules have an escape clause, and that's called the hiyal. What I mentioned earlier, the seven types of deception in Islam, this is the legalistic trickery that's coming into play here. So yeah. So I realized immediately that Allah had opened his heart for fighting, and I knew that was right. So fighting is right. You see, notice Muhammad Amin just said this. Hold on, hang on. You guys have to see this. Um, I'm actually going to display yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. G he, Muhammad Amin said Jesus was a gay homosexual faggot. And, uh, you know, and then he also said a minute ago, why don't you talk about killing women and children in the Bible? He doesn't even know the... What's the, in there? No, he's... The, he, he's he's so, lying, but he doesn't even understand that so, the difference between the Old and New Testament, etc. So, um, you know, and, and Jesus says to treat women as yourself, etc. And you would never do harm to yourself. So why would you harm women? So, you know, clearly this person, Muhammad Amin, is using Takia. So he is a great exam example to... to uh, you know, highlight and bring forth to the public. I mean, this guy is typing the stuff in the chat as we're doing the show. This is the yeah. the kind of delusional stuff that yeah. these people spew. So, you know, Jesus was a gay. Ho so this is a man who you can only be Muslim if you if he believes. Do you want to show his earlier quote where he actually said again where we started? Do you have that available that we can show quickly? Yeah, let me get back to it. Um, you should just leave his quotes in the chat so people can see how sick he yeah, is. Yeah, just put him in timeout. He's, uh, well, unfortunately, it deleted all of his comments so people can't see him. Well, I've got that one. So, so yeah, this is, I'm not a Muslim unless I believe in Jesus as a mighty prophet of God. So if he's going around now saying that Jesus is a gay faggot and Jesus is an earthly pig, then this is a lie. He's lying. Then, I mean, we know he's a liar. But unfortunately, in Islam, they have a different view of lying than we do. So to him, lying is not a big deal. It's not a thing. Right. And he's using takia, which is anything that whenever you lie in the name of Allah and Muhammad, it's justified. Whereas in Christianity, you are committing sin because all lies, you know, Satan is the father no. of all lies. Yeah, this Pad Kush guy, I've decided to get rid of him. What an idiot. Thanks for playing, dude. Um so, yeah, look, the thing is, it was odd is that atheists, or sorry, Islamic atheists and Chrislamists, Christians, I don't know what they're, why are they saying the exact same things that Muslim apologists say? They're saying exactly what Islamic apologists say. So how are you an atheist if you are promoting Islamic propaganda? How are you a Christian if you're promoting Islamic propaganda? No, you're a Muslim. Right, you're just pretending to be a Christian, or you're pretending to be an atheist, or you're just a good little dimmy, right? Because you don't want your head chopped off or whatever, or they promise to buy you some shoes. Who knows? So, notice they says yeah. So yeah, we're finishing this up. They will abandon the religion. Whoever, okay. So they speak of a group that there will be people that will only speak the religion, but they will not actually believe it. It will just come out of their mouths. It will be empty words. They will abandon the religion. So wherever you will find them, you must kill them. 
since those who kill them will be rewarded on the day of resurrection. And that's Bukhari. That's according to what Muhammad apparently said. So yeah, they will abandon. That's just a repetition of the same thing. So now, anyway, they will fight the people of the faith and I shall kill them. So in another tradition, my community will fall apart into two parties. The party that is closest to the truth will be in charge of killing them. So the Islamic community will split and the group that is closest to the truth. How the hell do you know who's closest to the truth? They will kill the rest because that's how it's done. So it has been established on the authority of the Quran that Sunnah and the consensus of the community that those who depart from the law of Islam must be fought, even if they pronounce the Shahada. And it is allowed to fight people for not observing unambiguous and generally recognized obligations and prohibitions in Islam. And it is obligatory to take the initiative in fighting those people as soon as the Prophet summons. So this is non-Muslims, okay? So if they've been told, we want you to become a Muslim. So in other words, if they've done dawah, right? And you say, look, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm happy being what I am. I'm happy being a uh, whatever. And you don't become Muslim, then they must fight you. Muslims are to take the initiative in fighting those people with the reasons for which they are fought has reached them okay so the reasons which they have fought has reached them is that they've been told well you need to accept islam and the most serious type of obligatory jihad is the one against the unbelievers and against those who refuse to abide by this prescription of the sharia so the most serious type of obligatory jihad is the one against you and me and you and you and you and you, and you. this jihad is obligatory if it is carried out on our initiative if we take the initiative it is a, it is a collective duty it is fulfilled by a sufficient number of Muslims. The obligation lapses for all the others and the merit goes to those who have fulfilled it. That is verbatim from the Sharia. You saw that earlier. And again, those believers who sit at home are not equal to those who go out and fight and kill. And the Prophet has ordered Muslims to help fellow Muslims. Okay, and now here they talk about this. They must give them fighting on foot, on horseback or provide financial contributions whether small or large. And then this is the last page we've done. The former type of jihad, however, is voluntary fighting in order to propagate the religion. In other words, this explains sudden jihad syndrome. And they want to make Islam triumph and to intimidate the enemy. This form of punishment, jihad, must be administered to rebellious people. And I'll let you know you are rebellious. And that's me. I'm done. All right. Well, anybody have any uh, super chats, any questions they want to throw up? Appreciate any support for the show, and uh, thank you, Lloyd, for yeah the uh, in-depth discussion. We just my thanks to Lee McKamey. He sent me a, a donation to PayPal. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And I appreciate uh, the Dashing Rogue sending a donation in the uh, backup channel today. Uh, please go to logosmedia.com and support the show there. You can also. Uh, uh, support the show by hitting the super chat or going to the Patreon link provided in the show notes there on the main channel. It should be showing up in the top corner lately. I hope, or later, I hope. But uh, uh, so uh, let's see. White Jewish European Khazars are not Hebrews. Synagogue of Satan and stolen identity. You know these people. We've already debunked all of this stuff, and they keep uh, they keep they keep you know they. You cannot pr show enough on screen that it's Islam scapegoating the Jews, and you get these these idiots like the humble Gentile who regurgitate this this stuff that we've disproved for a year now. And of course, you and I are therefore then 
you know, Jews, I'm a, I'm somehow a Welsh Viking Jew, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, look, you're, I'm a, remember I'm a Muslim, ex-Muslim, Iranian, Jewish, Christian, Catholic, South African, Mossad CIA, FBI agent. Right. Because these guys are shocked, dude. They, they got me pinned. Right. Right. Precisely. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing the dumb stuff they'll come up with just to avoid the primary citations. But their imams tell them to promote that kind of stuff. I mean, they won't talk about the content in the actual book. They won't talk about the actual detail of what the Sharia says, what the major scholars say. This is one of the two dozen top scholars in Islam. Do you want to uh, stop sharing your screen there? Oh, my bad, sir. Let me just do that. Yeah. So any any comments or questions from anyone who's been watching this? any super chats throw up your super chats let me check the backup channel i'm not seeing any super chats over there either but uh you know and i'm i'm going to, i i still got to get this document released but uh this is the terrible talmud versus the quran and uh i may end up changing that to versus islam but uh you know we've gone through and verified all these bogus claims against the uh, jewish talmud only one out of 70 of these claims turned out to be true. Someone tried to post another one today or last night on my BitChute channel. And I, you know, it was from the Midrash, supposedly. Of course, I pulled up the Midrash immediately and the whole book didn't even exist there. So, uh, you know, these people aren't even smart enough to fact check what kind of crap they, uh, that they claim, you know, it's all about lying. So, you know, some of these common ones, but I've been going through and fact-checking all of these, comparing them to Islam, providing all the links. And yeah. uh, you can easily see that all of this stuff is true in Islam. Why don't these same people who claim all of this stuff against Judaism falsely, why don't they get upset that this stuff is actually in Islam? And that is the real question right there that needs... No, they... I've had debates on Facebook and YouTube and people will criticize the Bible, Christianity, Jews, but they will literally avoid any and all references to Islam straight out of the Sharia, straight out of the Quran, whatever, no matter what sort. They will refuse. They will claim to be Christians. They will be claimed to be atheists. They will claim to be neutral. They will claim to not be defending any religion, but they will never say one critical word about Islam. Uh, it's really crazy. I, I, I don't know. These people are indoctrinated, brainwashed, paid. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but but really, it's insane. It's, so it's nuts. yeah, I'm just going through, scrolling through, and showing these on screen so people can actually realize that all of these so-called Talmud quotes that everybody regurgitates are false. You know, and uh, Jesse Lee Peterson has had this guy on. I forget the guy's name now, but he has him on weekly, and this guy spews all these same lies. And I contacted Jesse Lee Peterson trying to get on or to talk about these uh, things, and he was not interested. You know, it was protect his friend uh, whom he has on every week with yeah, the lies that dude, he's yeah, that dude was talking out of his bum as well. Right, yeah. So that's really unfortunate that these people refuse to expose the, or you know, tell that's the truth. We, we really need to talk about because, I mean, Christians and Jews have the same Bible, the same God, the same prophets, Right. And they will go out of their way. And it's quite literally Islamic talking points they're promoting. I mean, Jesus was considered a rabbi by the Pharisees. And no, but Jesus wasn't a Jew. No, he wasn't born to Jews. No, the, 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 the apostles weren't Jews. The Bible wasn't written by Jews. You're like, are you getting your information? Like, seriously, man. Uh, but of course, they're getting information from a man called Ibn Taymiyyah, who wrote a book 
And the book is called Answering Those Who Altered the Religion of Jesus Christ. And he says that Christians and Jews have altered their religion. And that's something else we can do another day. Because the same twat who wrote this book on, um, on jihad wrote a book saying the Christians have altered their Bible and they are actually supposed to be Christians. And they, are, they changed their books because they didn't like the message. And yeah, whatever. It's just nonsense. So yeah, guys, I hope that was interesting and it was, was educational. Uh, my throat's sore from reading now. And you want to give out your uh, your information so people can support you again? Um, yeah, I have a PayPal link in the in the in the description. Um, my PayPal email is aldeon underscore pl at outlook.com. We appreciate it. I mean, I spend hours on this stuff. I actually read this. I actually have to read this crap um, and go through it. As you can see, I mean, I can't highlight it without having read it first. So, um, really appreciate it. It's a lot of work. And I, I I feel your pain. You know, reading such. So yeah, I mean, we spent nonsense. three and a half months reading the Talmud. You know, all the twats, and I'm sorry that I just call those people, sorry, these idiots, uh, is that better? Um, <laughs> who, who, who lie about the Talmud, right? Now, I'm not a Jew. I, I know I know you guys are saying I'm a Jew, whatever. But, but you know, I, I disagree with the Talmud to the same degree that Jesus would, would have disagreements with the Pharisees in the Bible, right? So that's where I take my, my lead from. But I'm not going to lie about it. And you people are lying about it. And every single idiot, and you guys are idiots. In fact, you're lying idiots who talk about the Talmud have never read it. I spent three and a half months reading it. Three and a half months reading it. You guys haven't spent three and a half minutes. Right. Yeah, and I'm showing them on screen here. So. A humble Gentile. Jewish people are Kazars. Please wake up. They converted to Torah. Dude, you're an idiot. You're from Mars and you have an anal, sorry, probe <laughs> up your nose and it's infecting your brain. Put it back where it belongs. It's in the wrong place. Uh, see this guy, Muhammad yeah. Amen. He's just got to lie. Don't don't delete it. Uh, I was just going to tell you. No, not no, to. No. no. I just put him in timeout. Oh, okay. Well, like why I said, if you put him on timeout, it deletes all their yeah, comments. Well, why do Islamic sects murder each other, Muhammad Amin? You know, <laughs> really ah. that Batman. And oh. also, hey, you know, when I did the last show, seriously, you know what we need to do? I need to go back in detail over a. If you drink Muhammad's urine, you will be saved from the hellfire because his urine will protect you. And someone did. Someone drank it. And then, of course, Muhammad allowed people to drink camel urine because camel urine is healthy. It's medical. It's uh, good for you. And, you know, seriously, man, when I did that episode, my gosh, I wanted to puke off the time. Right. Well, you know, and this guy, Muhammad Amin, he's probably, you know, put his lips right around the camel's spout. Right. <laughs> Dude, I mean, seriously, you know, I mean, you think like, how is this holy? How is this good? And it's besides, they'll say, well, you know, the, the gospel, there's all these different confusing. Go through your hadith. Find me two hadith that say the same thing. Seriously. They all differ slightly, but right, and and then you have all the abrogation in the Quran, etc., contradicting, and obviously the second and one overrules the first, etc. What I discovered was abrogation is not just you have a weaker version and a, and a better. No, no, abrogation was God fixing Muhammad's errors. Muhammad <laughs> made mistakes. No, that is fact. Fact. That is the scholarly opinion. That is the formal scholarly opinion. Muhammad made mistakes and Allah had to repair his mistakes. So everything that was abrogated in the Quran is actually a mistake. 
it is not valid because it is a mistake by Muhammad. So the Quran is actually about 12 pages. Once you've, abrog- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you've abrogated everything else, you've got like 12 pages left. Oh, good grief. Yeah. You know, of course, uh, Muhammad Amin is not going to address all the contradictions in that and the Hadith and the Sharia and the Tisfir, it's in the Sunnah, etc. It's yeah, it's just yeah, dude, if you're not happy, make a video about me. I made one about you. The famous... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Oh. Uh, yeah, okay. That's me making fun of people now. Yeah, well, it's easy to make fun of stupid people. That's the problem. Well, or not the problem, I guess, you know. (laughs) So, all right. Well, that's a good place to wrap it up. Please uh, support the show, logosmedia.com. You can uh, donate on uh, the website through PayPal. You can hit the super chat uh, here. You can also uh, go to Patreon and support the show. Much appreciated. Thanks so much, Lloyd. Had a good time doing the show tonight as always appreciate your knowledge and uh, wisdom on this topic. And uh, that's a wrap. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Look in the description, all the books, all the references are linked in the description. Please download them, read them for yourself. And more importantly, spread them around so that everybody can see the horse crap that they yeah, spread. Yeah, if, so, if Islam is so awesome, they should be proud of getting this out there. They they, you you would think that they it. would take the, you know, the Sharia and share it with everyone so that everyone can see how wonderful Sharia yeah, law is. is, you know? Yeah. You know, so, you know what, you know what Muhammad, I mean, we're going to do this for you. We're going to share your Sharia for you. We're going to show people what it says. And that stuff about drinking urine, we'll cover that too. That's, we'll that's that. great, you know, because every Muslim wants the Sharia and the, the books of Islam shared with the world so that they everybody can yeah. know how wonderful the religion of peace really, mm-hmm. really is. So thank is you. Like so hot yellow peace or uh, what am I talking about here? <laughs> well, I mean, if he's got his lips right around the spout, it's got to be hot and yellow, right? <laughs> so, yeah, moving on. Dudes. Yeah, you're getting a- OK, thanks, guys. Good night. All right. Good night, everybody. Enjoy.